Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Mostly. So it is, it's good to be with you. Um, our text today is Psalm 88. It's on page 494 of your red Bible. Um, and yeah, when people discovered that I had the opportunity to preach over just about anything this morning, uh, Pastor Dan basically just wanted me to do something counseling related. Um, each time I was asked the same question, why? Um, See, today's passage, Psalm 88, is known as the saddest prayer in the Psalter. Uh, The prayer of Psalm 88 begins uh, with a soul full of troubles, and it ends in darkness. Uh, It's one of seeming hopelessness and unceasing pain. So why did I want us to go there? Well, because many in our church are already there. Uh, Why not join them? Psalm 88 gives us valuable insight into the lives of those suffering with chronic pain and the hopelessness that so often accompanies it. This morning, we have a chance to dig into the words of Psalm 88 to see what God might have to teach us about this. So let me read. I cry out day and night before you, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalath Linath a mascal of Haman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayers come before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. 
my companions have become darkness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be gathered here this morning to be with you. And Lord, we know that there are many people in this room right now who this psalm resonates with. Lord, use the, psalm, the words of Psalm 88 to teach us, to teach us about deep feelings of pain, Lord, to teach us what it looks like to turn faithful to, faithfully to you in the midst of that uh, while honoring that pain. Lord, make us a church uh, that is more real with one another, uh, that is more dependent on your grace, uh, Lord, that, that turns to you for hope. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 88 shines light on the fact that life's troubles can bring us to a place where our, earth, our earthly hope runs dry. As a counselor, I happen to get to sit with people each day where this is the case for them. I see it play out. The troubles of life and the pain that accompanies them, it can chip away at us. With this in mind, I decided to do a little bit of research on pain. And I found this statement from the Cleveland Clinic to be helpful. It reads, Pain is a sign that something has happened, that something is wrong. Acute pain happens quickly and goes away when there is no cause. But chronic pain lasts longer, and it can continue even when the injury or illness has been treated. In many ways, today's passage is about chronic pain. It's about the troubles of life that seem to refuse to go away, it's about that perpetual thorn in our side. Chronic pain is a big part of my life experience, uh, both because of my personal experiences as well as my job as a counselor. Uh, I get the privilege of sitting with others as they wrestle with various pains that life throws their way. Uh, let's take a minute and think about some of the pain that might exist here and now in this room. Many of you experience chronic physical pain. This can look like unrelenting headaches, backaches, arthritis, cancer, nerve pain. After countless trips to the doctor, endless procedures, the pain persists. Others of you experience chronic relational pain. Relational pain that might look like the pain of a broken marriage. Hopeless after too many years of feeling alone, unheard, unseen, uncared for, or just plain hurt. Or maybe you long to be married or to have a child, and the pain of this unanswered longing is instead your unwanted constant companion. Or maybe you have an estranged child who no longer speaks to you. Or it could be you're a teenager, and you're trapped for now in a family that seems unable or un wanting to love you the way you long to be loved. Others of you experience spiritual pain. This could look like an unwanted sin struggle or temptation that you can't get rid of. I know for myself, since my teen years, I've experienced an unwanted attraction to the same sex. 
The pain of this experience has been something that I've given over to the Lord time and time again, asking for relief, and yet the pain is still there. Or the spiritual pain you might experience could look like a brother or sister, a son or daughter, a mom or dad, even a spouse who does not know the Lord. You anguish day or night whenever you think about their soul and their place in eternity. These are just a few examples of what chronic pain might look like here this morning. Psalm 88, today's passage, it's about chronic pain and what it does to us. It's what the passage calls the troubles of life that lead a person to despair, to the brink of hopelessness. When the pains of life bring us to this place, to the brink of hopelessness, what are we to do? Let's find out. First, Psalm 88 can teach us that we have permission to experience deep feelings about our ongoing pain. Before we dig into that, though, let me just get a few structural things out of the way. Uh, Verse 1 and 2 says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Uh, This is uh, introducing the genre of this psalm. This is a prayer. Um, And so, what that means for us is that as we're, as we're reading this, as we're digging into it, uh, they're describing the psalmist's internal state, their feelings, their experiences, and it's not necessarily this perfect portrayal of reality. Um, we're reading this as a model for prayer, not trying to get a theological treatise out of this. Um, so it's going to teach us how to pray, how to turn to God, um, rather than necessarily what we're supposed to think or feel. And ultimately, we'll see that it's showing us that we can bring big questions, big hurts, big feelings to God. Um, Also, it's following a basic back-and-forth pattern. Um, It will talk about the fact that the psalmist is crying out to God, and then it has a number of verses describing what that cry actually is. Uh, For this first point, we're going to be looking at the verses where it's describing the psalmist's cry. So, How exactly is the psalmist crying out to God? Let's read verses 3 through 8. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted amongst those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand, You have put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavily upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My my eye grows dim through sorrow. So these verses tell us a number of things. First, we see that there's a progression to the pain. In verse 3, they're walking towards the grave. In verse 4, they're walking into the grave. In verse 5, they're lying among the dead. Pain has a way of, as it persists, growing bigger and bigger, harder and harder to bear, chipping away at that hopefulness that we once had. Just the fact that the psalmist is using a metaphor for death tells us something. It tells us the severity of the pain that they're experiencing. It alludes to that hopelessness 
that difficulty of knowing, can they go on? I'm sure many of us today can resonate with that feeling, with that sentiment. We also see the impacts of this pain on them. Uh, In verses 7 and 8, we see that it's isolating them, that it's cutting them off from the Lord. It's also cutting them off from their community, the people that are supposed to be there for them. This pain is significant. In verses 10 through 12, it says, Do you work wonders for the dead? Did the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Here, the psalmist is asking a series of rhetorical questions. And we can guess that the psalmist knows The answer to this is no. But I think what we're really getting at here is we're getting to see the consuming nature of chronic pain. As pain persists, it takes up more and more of our emotional space, of our thought life. It can take up our ability to have relationships with other people as maybe we close in on ourselves. And I think what the psalmist is seeing is at some point, it can also get in the way with our relationship with the Lord. It can, it can take up so much space that we start to have trouble experiencing the Lord's goodness, that we start questioning his faithfulness. Even though we know in our heads what the answer is, our hearts have trouble believing them. That's where the psalmist is here. Um, we can turn to the words of Johnny Erickson Tata to see her experience of this. She writes, When pain lumbers through the front door, squats down in the middle of your life, and makes itself at home day after day, year after year, it can make you choke. It can make you angry at God. I have felt that way. When quadriplegia ambushed my life, it felt as though God were smashing me underfoot like a cigarette butt. Chronic pain on top of quadriplegia became the extra plate I could not handle, and my anger turned into deep despair. Those were nights I would thrash my head on my pillow, hoping to break it at some higher level level and end my misery. Those were the mornings I refused to get out of bed. I told my sister, Jay, just close the drapes, turn out the light, shut the door, leave me alone. Finally, after almost a year, I realized I couldn't face one more day of hopelessness. Church, to feel separated from God, no longer experiencing his goodness, his faithfulness, that is a scary place to be. But even this must not be rushed. It must not be pushed aside. Uh, Rather, we must remember that we have a great high priest who truly knows what it is to be separated from the Heavenly Father, who is listening to our prayers, and who can best empathize with us where we're at. Then in verse 14 through 18, it reads, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. 
You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. These verses are mostly restating sentiments that have been previously stated, but I want to take particular note of verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up. The psalmist has been experiencing this pain for years. Uh, Here we see again that chronic nature of pain, ongoing pain. And church, this side of heaven, until Christ returns, there is no timeline for Christ's sanctification process. There is no timeline for when our sufferings will end or be lifted. There is no timeline for when our grief will be passed. While there's no timeline for chronic pain and suffering, there is something that we can predict, and that's that pain typically comes in waves. It ebbs and it flows. Uh, Johnny's experience alludes to this. She says it was certain days where she had to lock herself in her room, where she was in particular uh, having trouble experiencing the Lord's goodness. There will also be good days. You don't know if there'll be more good days or bad days, but there will be days uh, where you will have uh, the ability to, to feel the Lord's goodness and his presence in your life. But if you're in one of those waves of despair, of deep grief, if you're feeling strong feelings of loneliness, confusion, even anger, um, I want to say that those are not feelings to be repented of. Because let me say this very, very clearly, feelings are not sinful. Emotions are morally neutral. It's what we do with them that tells us something about our character. See, Psalm 88 gives us a wonderful example of godly sorrow. And simply by having it included in the Psalter, it gives us permission to feel deep feelings about our pain. One Christian historian is noted to have said, whoever devises from Scripture a philosophy in which everything goes right has to begin by tearing out the pages of Psalm 88. If God put this prayer in the Psalter for his people to sing together, we can certainly rest assured that these experiences of pain and suffering will still continue today. Friends, if you're in this place, I want to give you one encouragement and one challenge. My encouragement is to give yourself space and permission to continue working through these feelings. Feelings of hopelessness, confusion, despair, anger. My challenge is not to do it alone. We have a counseling ministry. Uh, One of our wonderful counselors is sitting right there. Uh, We also have a Stephen ministry now. Uh, You got to see all of them come forward. Uh, We have folks that are trained to sit with you who would be more than happy to help you work through alongside of the Lord what it looks like to feel deep feelings in the midst of significant pain. We also have this whole body in front of you. We have community groups and triads, Bible studies, places to be a part of, to be known, to turn you to the Lord when you feel like you can't do that yourself challenge you. If, if you are alone in the midst of significant pl- pain, please take advantage of these opportunities. Uh, you don't have to be alone. 
Next, Psalm 88 gives us not only permission to experience deep feelings, uh, but it also instructs us on how to faithfully respond to ongoing pain. We see this in the way that the psalmist cries out. Verses 1 and 2 read, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Verse 9 says, Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. And 13 reads, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Time and again, the psalmist returns to God. Let me continue reading a little bit from Johnny. We left off. Finally, after almost a year, I realized I couldn't face one more day of hopelessness. I cried out in anguish, God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. It was the prayer God was waiting for. After that, I would ask Jay to get me up, push me to the living room, and park my wheelchair in front of the music stand that held my Bible. Holding a mouth stick, I would flip this way and that, looking for answers. Any answer. I would eventually learn, mainly through the book of Psalms, that God has his reasons. Even when it involves extra plates that make your world come crashing down, yet our anger does not surprise or fluster him. He knows all about it. It was God's rage that nailed the Son of God to the cross. He gets anger. He wrote the book on it, and he invites people, people like you and me, to come and air our grievances and complaints to him. And the good news is you can do so without weakening your faith. Johnny turned to God. And she learned that he is a God who can hold our anger, who can hold our sorrow, who can hold our pain. Church, we can turn to God as well. The reason for this is simply stated in the first verse of the psalm. O Lord, God of my salvation. God of my salvation. When it feels like our earthly hope has run out, we can continue to turn to God because he has granted us an eternal heavenly hope. I really don't think there are better words to sum this up than Romans 8. So I'm going to read them to you. It's a little long, so bear with me. Starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul also understands the pain that we experience this side of heaven. Um, but he goes on. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's through death, it's through Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection that we have hope that one day the suffering will end. It will be a distant memory. We don't know the timeline for sanctification here on earth. We don't know the timeline for suffering, but we do know that there is an end. And we might never know all of the reasons for why we suffered, but we have hope that the Lord will carry us to glory. And as we wait, we have the promise that we, like the psalmist, as we turn to God, have a spirit who intercedes on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. Church, no matter how alone we feel, we're never actually alone. The spirit is with us. So church, let that be a comfort to us. And even in the midst of confusion, of hopelessness, of unrelenting chronic pain, we can together turn to a God who is already there. Finally, there's one kind of hidden message of hope within this psalm, um, and that's the actual writer, Haman. Uh, He was actually, according to commentaries, likely the leader of the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah are responsible for a number of beloved psalms. Uh, Haman, as shown in the psalm, was clearly a man who experienced much pain over the course of many years, and yet the Lord still used him. As we cling to the hope we have in Christ, even in the midst of profound suffering and pain, God can and will still use us, not through our strength, but by his strength for his glory. Let's look at one last lesson from Psalm 88. Psalm 88 encourages us to meet others in their ongoing pain. Verse 8 says, You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. And 18 says, You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The author describes feelings of being shunned, reviled, cast aside, alone. My guess is he has a number of reasons for this. First, I would like to contend that we seek to avoid pain. I would contend that we live in one of the most pain-avoidant cultures ever to exist. We have the wealth to fool ourselves into thinking that we don't experience pain, and it is on full display through so many places. Social media culture, where we trick others and ourselves into thinking that we're just not experiencing pain. Or the rampant addictions to shopping, pornography, alcohol, the opioid epidemic, 
or to get a little bit closer to home, um, subtle, often overlooked forms of numbing, things that I at times use, like overeating or binge-watching, whatever show you have uh, from your favorite streaming service, or just distracting yourselves with the inner workings of your favorite sports team or celebrity. As a church, if we live in a culture that drives us towards avoiding pain and seeking comfort, isn't it natural that we would also then shy away from the pain of others? You see, entering into the deep pain of another person, it can act like a mirror. It forces us to look at the pain that already exists, pain that we have worked so hard to avoid, to shove aside, to ignore. Church, we have to stop avoiding pain. Pain in ourselves and pain in others. Because if we don't, we can't obey Romans 12, 15, to weep with those who weep. If we don't know who is weeping because we've been too afraid, too naive, too avoidant, too comfortable to recognize, let alone search for those in our church who is weeping. Paul Tripp gives a good example of this in his book, Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer. Let me read it for you. Everyone felt like they knew Betty and Brad. Their presence was so central to the life of our church that no gathering seemed official without them. I had spent many hours in meetings with Brad, and I had been impressed by how quietly practical he was. We had picnicked together as families, shared meals together, worked together on Christian school projects. We knew their children and their extended family well. Late one autumn evening, Brad called to me to go out for coffee, making it clear that he wanted to do it right then. I heard the urgency in his voice, so I got dressed, and we met at a local diner. I arrived first, and as I saw Brad enter the diner, I knew that something was seriously wrong. Brad sat down and said, I don't know where to start. I guess I should have done something about this a long time ago, but I kept thinking that we could work things out. Now we're in a mess, and I don't know what to do. He seemed both discouraged and angry. I've put up with her stuff for years, he said. It has been an everyday thing, constant demands, and when I don't do the things she wants, there's hell to pay. There is never a day that I am not in trouble for something. She has called me horrible things in front of our children. Once a month, she threatens to leave. But that wasn't the worst of it, Brad went on. A few years ago, Betty was making supper and was very angry that I couldn't help her on a project that night. In the middle of her argument, she threw a saucepan lid at me. I ducked, and it flew by me and broke our kitchen window. When I heard that window break, I guess I lost it. I rushed over and slapped her across the face. We continued to fight, and most of the injuries that you thought were the results of my clumsiness at home repair have actually been from Betty. I'm here tonight because I don't know where Betty is. We had the ho most horrible fight we've ever had. And I know that she's out there now, insanely angry with all of the debit and credit cards and a huge bottle of wine. It was hard for me to pay attention because Brad's story was so disorienting. I had known this man for years, yet I knew nothing of what he was telling me now. My mind went to the many hours we had spent with this family. I had assumed I knew them, so I had never asked anything that would give them an opportunity to say anything 
about the true state of their personal lives. I wondered how this could have gone on for so long without anyone knowing. In that moment, I realized that the most personal and important parts of our lives fly under the radar of our typical relationships in the body of Christ. We live frenetically busy lives with activity-based friendships punctuated only by brief conversations with each other. Now, I was sitting across from a friend I did not know. That friend, Brad, that friend of Paul's, he definitely bore some of the responsibility of not confessing his sins, not confessing his pain earlier. But I also say that Paul Tripp and his church bear much of the responsibility. There were likely signs, like those home repair injuries, uh, that if they had had their eyes open, if they were seeking to know one another's pains, if they were being persistent, they might have found those out sooner. We have professionals in our church. We have Stephen Ministry. We have places where we do see more of this. Um, but there's a limited amount of Stephen ministers. There's a limited amount of counselors. In church, this is up to all of us to do this heavy lifting of digging into one another's lives. Church, we must be vigilant in searching out the pain in our midst in order to meet it with the mercy of Christ. We have to search diligently because Paul's trips, his story not only highlights the failings of the church, but it also shows the natural propensity of those in pain to go into hiding. When we are experiencing chronic pain or hopelessness, and often the shame that accompanies it, people tend to isolate. They remove themselves from those around them, the people who actually do care. My hunch is the feelings that the psalmist has about those he's in community with, some of that is in his head. It's his own isolation that he's doing. Uh, probably not all of it, but I would guess some of it. We see this is how people who are looking to attempt suicide, how they go away to a place like a hotel to be alone. We see this even in animals like dogs who go away uh, to be alone when they're ready to die. Uh, I'm not ma making this up. I googled people isolate in pain, uh, and the first link was a research article entitled The Impact of Social Isolation and Loneliness on Those Who Experience Chronic Pain. That was one of many articles. So as a church, we must be aware that those in pain will often be doing what they can to remove themselves from community, from the body of Christ. Brad didn't go straight to Paul the second things got bad. Um, we can't expect those in our church to do any better. Rather, let us not wait for them to confess or bring their pain to the surface. Let us be a people who, who searches it out. Uh, let us be a people who are curious and persistent. Invite people over to your home. Or better yet, show up at another person's home. If you notice that they've fallen off the grid, bring over a meal, bring over flowers, just stop by and knock on their door. Uh, give them a call, invite them to coffee, to go on a walk, to meet up. Be praying for them. Pray before you go to meet them. 
Pray while you're meeting with them. So often the Spirit will work in that to bring to light pain and issues. Pray after you meet with them. Ask for discernment. Who around you might need a shoulder to cry on? Might need just a comforting presence to sit with? Ask the Lord to reveal that to you. You might be surprised. Church, there are countless people I could highlight at the end of this sermon, people that would make really good closing illustrations. But I want to do something different instead. That's because we have so many illustrations sitting right here. So, if you're a note taker, don't cap your pen yet. And if you're not, I would encourage you, grab your phone and open up your notes app. I can see you all, so I'm just going to wait a minute. Uh. All right. So first I want you to think of someone in the church, someone that you know experiences chronic pain, be it relational, spiritual, physical, or someone that you suspect is in a hard place. Take a minute, ask the Lord, who might that be for you? Next, I have three questions for you. You can write them down if you want. One, how might you create space to meet them where they are, wherever that might be? Not rushing them, but simply meeting them where they are. How might you create space to meet them where they are, wherever that might be? Two, how might you encourage them towards faithfulness despite their pain? How might you encourage them towards faithfulness despite their pain? And three, how might you care for them in their pain? How might you care for them in their pain? Since we commissioned the Stephen Ministers today, I'm going to give you a quote from Stephen Ministry. Uh, the Stephen Ministers know that I think it's a little cheesy, but I have not come up with a better way to phrase it yet, um, and I think it has a lot of truth in it. Stephen Ministers, they say that we are the caregivers and Christ is the cure-giver. As you think about sitting with these people and answering these three questions, I remind you, we are here to offer care, but not offer a cure, because that is the work of God, and we don't know what his timeline might be for that cure. Let me end with this quote from Andrew Peterson. It's one of my favorite quotes. And I thought that as Psalm 88 ends in darkness, this was a fitting rebuttal. He says, The gospel gives me hope, and hope is not a language the dark voices understand. Church, even in the midst of chronic pain and hopelessness, let us be a people who holds fast to the ultimate hope of the gospel. And let us hold fast in this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are many in this room who, after much waiting, still experience deep pain. 
suffering and hopelessness. Lord, we don't know what the timeline for your healing might be. We don't know if it is to be waited for until your second coming. Uh, But Lord, we know that you are in the midst of this, that you are with us. Lord, as we experience pain, help us to turn to you again and again. Make us a faithful people, a people who both turn to you and also seek out others to turn with. Lord, let us be a church where no one is alone um, because they know you ha- they have your comforting spirit and because they know that they have the body of Christ near to them. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.